Well, guys, we're going to be in Matthew 6. We're finishing Matthew 6 today. So if Brandon is bold enough, he'll teach an entire chapter next week. If he wants to finish the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> but we are in Matthew 6. Uh, we'll be starting verse 25. But while you're turning there, I want to tell a little story. So let's say I'm going to tell a story, a hypothetical one, that I know nothing about, just for the record. Uh, so if I'm kind of inaccurate, give me some grace. It's an illustration. So imagine you're a new parent, a newborn baby. Like I said, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm an unmarried individual, and I'm being faithful to the Lord. Uh, and the newborn baby is having tons of trouble, crying constantly, uh, never sleeping well, getting keep, therefore you're not sleeping well as the parent, and baby's crying all the time, and you're pulling every rope to try to console them, to make them comfortable, to make sure they're getting fed, to change their diapers, to go the entire mile to make sure they're healthy in every single way. And nothing's working. They just keep on crying, 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 crying. And finally, you get so fed up that you turn to the baby, you go, would you just stop crying? And all of a sudden, the baby ceases and goes, oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry for crying. Is that realistic? No. Would the baby do that? No. You would actually frighten the baby, and the baby would probably cry a whole lot more because now their beloved large individual being in front of them is not screaming at them, and that was the, their entire caregiver. And so now they're just afraid of everything. Uh, so now the question, here's another example. Let's say you're going through something and you're worried about it. So you sit down with a dear friend of yours, you say, hey, I want to talk to you about this. It's been worrying me, and I just want to talk it out. Is that okay? Like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. You start telling it. You're like, here's what's going on. You start explaining it to them. You're like clearly worried. And your friend all of a sudden just goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just need to stop worrying. And then gets up and leaves. Would you go, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I need to hear. Thank you so much. Everything's great now. There's no more problems. I feel awesome. Wow, you just solved my entire life. N no. Maybe for some of you, being told to chill out would help at first, but I still don't think that brings long-term results to anybody. So why is, well, just stop worrying, not enough? Why is that not enough? It's because I think so often we try to address things like worry and anxiety uh, as if it's the root problem, when the reality is it's just the fruit problem of something so much deeper, of something way worse, something in our hearts we actually have to deal with in order for that worry to stop existing as a fruit of our reaction to what's going on. And so in the situations of our lives, there's things going on deeper. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And so Matthew chapter 6, we're in verse 25. If you would stand with me for the reading of the word. I just want to honor the word of the Lord, knowing that he's speaking through this. It says, for this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, uh, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you by being worried, can add a single hour to his life. And why are you worried about clothing? 
Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, I just ask in this time that you would speak to all of us, uh, bring to mind areas of our lives where we need work and help us to see how you are shepherding us, that uh, you are desiring to speak wisdom into our lives by your spirit, but we must listen. And so quiet our hearts in this time so we can hear from you, Jesus, even myself. In your name, amen. Okay, so worry is a fruit problem, not a root problem. And Jesus here in this section says, for this reason, I say to you. Now, hold on. This section alone by itself, isolated, does not tell us what the reason is. For this reason, what reason, Jesus, are you talking about? And when it comes to context, sometimes it can be easy to just jump and miss, like, the forest for the trees or vice versa. And so what I think he's referring to is because this is an entire flow of thought is he's just referring to the verse right before for this reason. And the reason that is, is verse 24. Take a look with me. No one can serve two masters for either. He will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and anything else. You cannot serve possessions, your needs, the things you want. Uh, you cannot try to serve Jesus and other things. Uh, a couple of years ago, I saw a coffee mug and it said Jesus and coffee on it. And I wanted to throw it at a wall. <laughs> because when it comes to the Christian life, there, there's no such thing as a playing field of Jesus and fill in the blank. If my Instagram bio said Jesus and money... I would have people coming to me going, Chase, you're addicted to money. You don't love Jesus because Jesus is not comparable to other things. And so we, they, there cannot be uh, Jesus and something on the playing field. It's Jesus and then everything else. And you're only in one camp. There's no middle ground. There's no playing it safe. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You're only going to be devoted to one or the other. And wealth here, the, the Greek mammon means uh, it's a bit more loaded. There's a lot to it. Uh, I mean, I think of just things in our lives that make the, our lives go, like money, st even status, comfort, the things that we need, possessions, whatever it may be. Because he says, for this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life. Now, it goes into the most basic needs, food, drink, clothing. But there's so many things that we can think of today that 
are perhaps even just as needed. Shelter. And so he says, do not worry about your life. If he stopped right there, I think we can agree it wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't be helpful. Just, we'll stop worrying. And yeah, you can't serve both, so stop worrying. But like, there's, there has to be an explanation. And what I want to do as we walk through this passage is show you that Jesus is actually step-by-step step walking us to see the connection between these two ideas of not being able to serve multiple things at once and that when we stop serving multiple things at once, worry is actually taken care of. Worry becomes less and less and less of a thing because we're not trying to touch multiple bases. I want to serve Jesus and that's it. And so do not be worried about your life as to what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, no fear your body as to what you will put on. And then he goes, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? That word more shows up so many times in this passage. We're going to see it a lot. Jesus is using repetition for a reason. And it's like a very hidden word. You don't really notice it, but he's the presumption he's making is that there's more to life than the obvious. Our lives, we're made for more. We're made for a higher purpose than just trying to uh, function in this world. He's forming us into different people. Maybe you've heard the phrase form over function. Jesus is all about form over function. We're not just meant to coast through life and make it. He's forming us into his image. Then he gives a picture of looking at the birds of the air. He's taking your eyes from the normal daily lives and he's saying, look up to the heavens to where the birds are flying, where God is seated. And, he, and these birds, you know, you've seen them flying around. Some of, some of them up here have great songs that they sing. Others don't. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> Brittany resonated with that one. <laughs> and yet we don't see them acting like farmers, sowing, reaping, and gathering into barns. And yet, for example, are any of you farmers in here? <laughs> Tyler's a farmer. So most of us are not. Most of us are not farmers. But we do all sow, reap, and gather. We sow in hours of our time to reap uh, finances, pay for our labor. And then we go gather the stuff that we need by buying on Amazon, going to Walmart, whatever it may be. Uh, I'm not necessarily condoning buying it from those places. I'm just naming places. Uh, we still sow, reap, and gather as people in the 21st century here in America. And yet the birds don't at all. And he says, yet your heavenly father feeds them. They don't do any of that, yet they're fed. And look at this next question. Are you not worth much more than they? You're worth more than them. And yet he provides for them. We labor and toil our entire lives as a result of the fall. The birds never do. God takes care of them. We do, and God still says, you're worth more than even them. So why are you worried about your life? Is not life more are you not worth more? So he's building, he's building this, uh, trying to build us up to see that there's more than what is worrying us right in front of our very eyes. 
Because if you just think of who you are for a moment. If you're taking notes, write these down. Uh, first, we are formed in his image. We're his creation. We're filled with his spirit, as believers. We're his temples. And we're found by his grace, adopted into the family of God. We're the adopted people that are temples of God and created by him. Formed, filled, and found. Yes, got to use alliteration because it's amazing. We are worth much more. Our lives are more than our worry. We're worth more than our worry and our labors in life. There's more to it. And he goes, who of you can even add a single hour of your life by worrying? Now, I did some, I did some research because I think Jesus was, understood something that Studies today actually show us now in a legit sense uh, that worry didn't just not do anything. It actually did worse things. Uh, according to Penn State, 91.4% of the things that we worry about never happen. That's just over 8% of the things that we worry about actually happen. Hmm. And last study I saw a few years ago, it was actually 80%. It's increased. So our, in our lives in America today, we're worrying about more and more and more things that don't matter at all. We're giving so much time to the things that don't matter. Why? And more than that, excessive worrying can lead to all kinds of problems in your body. It releases stress hormones that can affect the body negatively, including an increased heart rate, headaches, upset stomach, nausea, diarrhea, heart palpitations, fatigue, insomnia, breathing problems, irregular blood flow to extremities, muscle aches, as well as even high blood pressure, high blood sugar, and increased, I don't know how to say that word, which all can potentially cause serious chronic conditions like diabetes and cardiovascular diseases to develop. <laughs> it's worrying. Sounds like a side effects of a drug. That's a, that's, yeah, it's very, very true because worry destroys us more than it ever could help us. Because I, I saw another article earlier today. It's like the five myths of worry. I'm like, okay, so some of them are going to be really obvious. One of them actually was that people believe that by worrying, they're actually able to prepare for the future better. No. The statistics show us not. I looked into what the study Penn State did. They just got people from all over the country to describe the things that they worry about and how much of those things actually came to be reality. 91.4 is a pretty specific percentage. They had actually a really large group of people answer these questions. Most of the things we worry about don't happen. It does not help us prepare for the future. It actually keeps us from living in the present. Then he, Jesus continues in verse 28. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't toil. They don't spin. He goes, yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Jesus is God, so he knew already. But I looked up who was the richest person in history. Now there's some debate. But Solomon is on the top three list. And most places say he was the wealthiest person in all of history, even like bringing up the wealth count to today. 
The other two guys are John D. Rockefeller and Mansa Musa, who was the uh, king of the Mali Empire in the 14th century. Oh. <laughs> Different Mali, but close. <laughs> but then there's Solomon. And yet, and Jesus is bringing out this name for a reason, because not even he could clothe himself as, as glorious as the simple lilies that God created. And you're like, wow, that's, that's so humbling. Solomon thinks he's so cool, yet the lilies are even better. But Jesus isn't done yet because he's still building this case. He said, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You little faith. God just said, Solomon, the great, the, potentially the wealthiest person in all of history, is underneath the lilies. And then he says, we're more than that. We're not more in the sense of like we're better. But God cares for us that much that he's going to meet our needs that much more. So again, why are we worried? He's trying to show us that not just that our worry is preposterous, but that we have a misunderstanding about the things that we worry about, about the purpose of our lives, the purpose of our existence, and even the purpose of our stuff, perhaps. Will he not much more clothe you? Now, he's not just talking about the clothes on your back. When we look at the scriptures, the, the concept of being clothed comes up a ton. And 100% of the time, it is referring to believers who are clothed in Christ. And as I was looking into this, what us being clothed in Christ and uh, covered in His blood because of His sacrifice for us changes every aspect of our lives. From justification when we're born again, we can see this in Galatians 3, it says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So born again. And then also in our, in our being transformationed as well, transform, transformed as well. Colossians 3 it says, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on or be clothed, with a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Being clothed in the character and likeness of Christ. So we're clothed in him in, in our salvation, in his blood, because he's the one that saves us. And we're being transformed into his likeness and clothes. But it's not just that. There's more. Our glorification. The day that is coming. 1 Corinthians 15 says, For this perishable, this, this body, must be put on, must put on the imperishable. And this mortal must put on immortality. Eternal life. Christ, who is eternal. We are clothed in him. We need more faith to believe. 
that this is who we are made to be. And because of that, we can trust that because Christ has us at every single aspect uh, pinned, uh, we need to actually start to trust him more with the things that we worry about or are concerned about. So where is our faith? Where is your faith? Philippians 1.6 For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus, his second coming. All things are made new and there is no more worry, tears, or pain, or sorrow. How many of us are actually confident of this? That he who began a good work will complete it. I think I'm convinced that most of us think, well, God will complete it, but he just needs a little help. <laughs> I, God, I think this thing, I need to take care of. I, I know what we need to do. And so you worry tempts you to believe that you need control or not. It doesn't tempt you to believe that you need control. It is the result of you believing that you need to take control of the situation. I think so often we worry because we don't trust God to take care of it or to go to him and ask him to act. Instead, we think we need to act. It says, do not worry then saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? Or what we wear for clothing. For the Gentiles, that is those that don't have faith in the Lord, eagerly seek all these things. They seek them out. They're looking for those to fill those gaps in their lives themselves. I got to get the food for myself. I have to get the clothing. I have to get the shelter. I have to fill my life with purpose. I have to find fulfillment. I have to, I have to. And all of a sudden, we are now on the throne. And worry just trains us into that. It's not like we can just shove worry down. We have to go down deep. Where am I lacking trust in the Lord that I need to trust him in? I'll just It's a sort of personal story. An area in my life that has been a strain is in my finances of like, Lord, like, are you going to provide for me? Like, can I trust you with this? And I have find, found time and time again, the moments where I stop trying to figure it out myself and I stop worrying and I say like, Lord, like, I know you're going to be my provider. And so thank you that you're my provider. And instead of worrying, I'm, I'm proactively thanking him for, in faith, believing that he's going to provide. And it's when I do that, not that the miraculous happens every time, but I start to actually live in the present and find that even in my need, God is still faithful. Because it's not Jesus and money, for example. It's just Jesus. And if I actually truly believe the scripture that says, I don't have to worry about my life because the Father knows what I need and provides for me, I don't have to worry. Because I actually, deep down in my heart, am believing that God will meet me in this area of need, whatever that area is. And then check this out, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If we took this verse 33 outside of this context and showed it to a hundred people that have never read the Bible and don't know anything about this passage and asked them, what kind of context do you think this verse would fit into? I would bet money that not a single one of those hundred people would say it fits into a context of worry. Verse 33 sticks out like a sore thumb, like it doesn't fit into a context of worry. Because in the immediate next verse, he says, so don't worry about tomorrow. 
He just jumps right back into the worry conversation. In verse 33, he says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. I think because it's it's here for a reason. Jesus was not interjecting some random thought. It's right in line with what he's getting at. Your worry is a fruit of misordered priorities. A disordered life breeds bad fruit. And when our and since God is a God of order, when our life is in ordered and is in order according to the right priorities, these other things begin to work themselves out. And so let, let's just to break down this verse a bit more to really show you why I think it actually really is great that it's here. The word seek means to desire, to aim at, to strive after, to inquire into uh, by thinking, reasoning, meditating, uh, having an uh, affinity for it, to investigate, to reach a binding resolution, getting to the bottom of the matter. It's seeking with all that you have, making it your number one priority, Him. First, it's before, formally, firstly, in time, place, order, importance. It's that word that is used in like nowhere else except the Bible, preeminence. Christ is preeminent over everything. And I've been chewing on that word the last few weeks because it's a loaded word. He is the only one who takes first. He is the first entirely over everything. He has all authority, all ability, and we can trust him with everything because it's Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Why are we looking to anything else when we could be looking to him and saying, Lord, here's my situation. I'm not going to worry. Why? Because the fruit of my heart is I trust you. That's the goal. But obviously, how do we, how do we get there? Because <laughs> Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Seek first the kingdom. Then don't worry about your life. It's like, okay, well, how do I seek first his kingdom? That can look like a lot of things. There's a lot of practical ways to go about it. Huh. There's proactive ways to kill the flesh that we might more focus on him. Practices like fasting, giving, praying. We just looked at that earlier in this chapter in Matthew 6. We talked about those three practices. Uh, we could, in a communal sense, be accountable to other people to, because those that love you won't just tell you to just stop worrying. <laughs> They'll help you process and help you realize why that you don't have to freak out. They'll remind you that Christ is Lord and he's Lord over all things and that he works all things together for the good of those who love him. Love him proactive, proactively. So if Christ is your priority, I should be able to see that in your time and how you spend your time. Because there's important things. There's things that are important. Like, for example, calling my family is important. But it doesn't become a priority until I'm actually doing it. Calling my family, seeing how they're doing, checking in on them, asking how things are like that that's the difference there's important things that we know are important but we may or may not actually prioritize it jesus needs to be a priority he is important 
He's the most important thing in the entire universe and entire history, and nothing else comes even close to him. But is that the fruit of your life? Or in your heart, are you worrying, and at the root of it, are you saying, you know what, Jesus, like, I love you and all, but I really need to figure this out. So, like, can, can you just scoot a little bit? Like, I, I need the reins for a little bit. Like, I need, I need to figure this out. And now, most of us would say that that's not what we're thinking about when we start to worry. The reality is, deep in our hearts, what Jesus is explaining here is that we're not seeking first his kingdom. We're trying to build ours. We're not looking at his righteousness and his character and his nature to actually meet those needs in the right manner. And we're trying to look to our own abilities to do so. But if Jesus is the focal point of our lives, all of a sudden, all these things get added to us. This is not a prosperity gospel. This is the Bible. He provides for the needs of those who trust him. And even those that don't. The birds don't think about how awesome Jesus is. Yet every day, our Heavenly Father feeds them. And so for us today, the question is, do we trust him to add to our lives where there's need? Where there is to increase, to gather up, to put together for a purpose, to join to, put to, place additionally. He fills our lives with all that we need because Christ, who he is all, is in all and fills all with himself. And firstly, our hearts, because we are his temple. So, I could close in a silly fashion and just say, to summarize, stop worrying. But I think we've seen that that's not the summary here. The summary is actually, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word, God. And in our hearts, God, I, I pray that we would be the number one priority. I recognize, God, that in this room, there are people that have lots of things to worry about. It's life. You, you didn't promise us ease. You said it would be very hard. But you also said you gave us a helper. The Holy Spirit who dwells in those that are of your people. And so God, may we be your people that we were made to be. A people that don't worry, not because we just brute force it, but because we actually rest in the promise that you're good and you've got it that you are our shepherd and we can be your sheep and follow your lead. Help us to not be foolish and be swayed by any wind that comes, but instead may we be a people that are dead set on you and nothing else. That we would say yes to Jesus every single time, laying everything at your feet. And God, help us to be there for one another. We are the family of God and, uh, Remind us on how we ought to live and also help us to remind each other on how we ought to live. That in love, we would be able to have the wisdom to say more than, we'll stop worrying. And just like the example of the little baby, we would be able to console and see uh, the blind spots in one another where 
there's issue and we can encourage each other in our walks, God. So Jesus, we trust you. We love you. We pray that you would be first in our hearts. God, would your kingdom come and your will be done within us today. In your name, amen.